Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. This is a warning against falling away. We have, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless as in and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised he confirmed it with an oath God did this so that two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, 
where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our path. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, this is God's word. I'll just pray for Mitch as he comes. Yeah, Father God, we just, uh, yeah, just pray for Mitch, Lord, as he delivers this message. Lord, may uh, you use his mouth, Lord, to deliver what we need to hear. Lord, we just thank you for the truth of, of God's word. In Jesus' name. Alrighty, so last week we looked at a figure. Does anyone remember his name? Melchizedek. Now what I did was last week we looked at sort of parts of Hebrews chapter 5, then we skipped over this part and looked at chapter 7 and 8. And so today we're actually going to pick up the part that we pause from, the warning passages. And they're quite scary in some ways. It's really, really heavy language. And from, a, I guess, a Christian perspective, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to verse 6, it's really controversial. It's stirred up all kinds of, I guess, the hornet's nest of discussion about what does it mean to commit apostasy? It means to fall away from a faith. Is that talk about people who were Christians beforehand and walked away? Does it mean that there were Christians, they weren't really Christians to begin with? What does it mean? And you know what? You're not going to find the answer today. It's a plug for banter. Murray and I are going to unpack that a bit more. So there you go. Push, push you into banter. Listen to that. There we can go a bit more in depth than that. But today I actually want to look at what the purpose of the warning passages are. And in Hebrews, you may have noticed if you've been reading through the book and going through it in your small groups, is that he gives some Old Testament theology, a background for why Jesus is greater. Then he gives a warning. But he doesn't just leave you in that warning feeling terrible. He brings it to comfort. And here the comfort, he starts off with, hey, you guys are infants. You're still drinking milk. You need, you, you should be eating meat by now. You should be teachers, but you're not. So he shames them, gives them this terrifying warning. Well, this is what will happen if you keep being a spiritual. If you walk away, it's like you're crucifying the son of God over and over. Makes him terrified. And he says, hey, but don't worry. I don't think you guys are in this position. Don't worry about it. That's just, maybe that's just an example of other Christians who have done that. But I don't think that's where you're at. And then he gives them this hope. Hey, you know what? God made a promise to Abraham on an oath. And in the ancient world, when you made an oath, you didn't break that. And if God is the ultimate oath taker, then God can't lie. If God didn't lie to, lie to Abraham, he will not lie to you as well. And that's where we get the hope for the anchor. Because that's really what the, the passage is about. It's kind of 10,000 feet view. Gives you a warning, makes you terrified, makes you think, oh, geez, what does that mean to, to, to commit apostasy, to wander away from the faith? Then he gets you back to this image here, the anchor. The anchor that is our hope for our soul. Um, what, what's interesting, I've been reading a lot of commentaries about Hebrews, is that what... I guess in the modern world, we have, don't have very great attention spans, do we? In fact, I keep a timer on my watch every Sunday for 20 minutes because I know if I go more than 20 minutes, you guys are probably going to start losing you. But this is like a classic way that um, orators, so those that taught people would do, is they'd start the beginning of a theme. So he sets up the theme of Melchizedek and he takes a pause. 
And ironically enough, this pause is actually meant to make you listen greater, meant to help your listening when he starts to unpack Melchizedek later. He starts here with something that would just wake you up. If you're falling asleep going, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus is high priest and you're the Melchizedek and you're starting to drift off, then he's like, boom. You know what? You guys are spiritual infants. You know what? You guys are babies. Now, when Asher was two years old, he picked up his Etch-A-Sketch and you've probably seen him wandering around church with the Etch-A-Sketch and he started just drawing letters. We didn't teach him. He started writing A, B, C, started drawing numbers. And for us as parents having this little two-year-old, they're like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. We have a super child. We have a genius here. Now, a kid at two drawing their numbers and letters is very exciting. But if he didn't get beyond that, it's kind of depressing. It's like if he's two and now he's five and that's all he can do is just still do the ABC, that's kind of pointless. It's actually a little bit pathetic. It's immature. And in the same way, he doesn't use the word ABC, but the author here, he uses the Greek word which means elements, i.e. the elements of the alphabet. You guys are here. He says here, you need milk, not solid. Um, Hang on, let me go back. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you elementary truths of God's word. You guys still need your ABCs. Don't be like that. And friends, that's, I guess, the challenge for us today. In order to have this hope of the anchor for our soul, we need to get beyond the ABCs of faith. We need to go deeper. We need to become more spiritually mature. And it's interesting how throughout Hebrews, he's been talking about how Jesus, he was made perfect when he suffered. And that word perfect is not that somehow Jesus was imperfect and then suddenly became perfect. It's more about becoming complete. Jesus, through the sufferings of the cross and his temptations on this earth, he completed God's perfect plan for him. In the same way, too, he's not saying this directly, but for us as Christians, those that reflect God's image, we should be like Jesus. We should become more complete, too. Just like a child who's at high school, just only knowing his ABCs, is not someone who is mature. So we, too, need to grow in our faith. And it's interesting how he labels here some of the elementary teachings, which I think probably for some in the church, but wow, that's pretty intense. He talks here about instructions about cleansing rites, which is probably baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and internal judgment. They're just some of the basics of faith. And it made me reflect on some of the things that we do here at church. Why do we teach? Why do we do rituals like communion? In a sense, it's about helping us understand who God is. The God is this, what I find amazing about God is God is near, but God is transcendent. I mean, God's beyond space and time, but God is near to us. God wants to be in relationship with us. And the further we develop those ABCs of faith, the more we mature along that journey, we get a better understanding of that God who wants to be near to us, yet 
He is transcendent over this world. Holds this world, the palm of his hand, yet his spirit dwells within us. And developing that, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. If you understand these bases, you can keep on growing, keep on becoming mature. Because that's ultimately where we want to get to in life. Because a lack of spiritual knowledge is death. And that's the point of those warning passages. Whatever it means theologically, or it means that Christians can lose their faith, or whether they weren't Christians to begin with, life is about following God, about worshipping Him. That's where true life is found. During World War II, uh, American, he became a theologian, American theologian Langdon Gilkey was teaching in Nanking um, University in China when the Japanese invaded. And the Japanese rounded up all the Westerners in China at that point and stuck them in internment camps. And if you know Eric Liddell, the famous chariots of fire runner, Landon Gilkey actually was in internment camp with him. And Gilkey, by his own admission in his book, The Shantang Compound, went into that internment camp not a believer. He grew up like many in America at that time, sort of having basic faith. But for him, he was a secular man. He was a humanist. And he said at the beginning of his time at the camp, they had issues. And he says the issues in the camp were things like, how can we eat? How can we keep warm? How can we be clothed and protected from the weather? He said these matters are resolved by practical experience and by techniques, not by philosophy or religious faith. And he says here, while religion might help those who liked it, it was a waste of time for others. And certainly the others now included myself. It's a great place where he starts, he's like... I don't need this faith at all. It's just a waste of time. I've got more important things to worry about. How am I going to be food? How am I going to be clothed? How are we going to shelter these prisoners living in some camp? And as the book progresses, he begins to realise, you need faith. Otherwise, society will fall apart. And he says here, I love this quote, he says, I began to see that without moral health, a community is as helpless and lost as it is about material supplies and services. Man, what a quote. Fantastic is that? In the midst of this Japanese internment camp where they didn't know where they are going to get food from, didn't know how they are going to get shelter, came this realisation that society needs God. You need religious order. You need these practices to shape society, to shape who you are as a human being. It's essentially what the author of Hebrews is also saying. If you are still a spiritual infant, you will not grow. You will not grow to the purposes that God has created you to be in. Hence the warning. Get terrified. Be a bit scared. Be like, crikey. It is scary. Like, what does it mean when he says, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Friends, I don't know exactly what that means, but it's terrifying. That's a terrifying warning that if you reject Jesus, it's like you're crucifying him again. It's like he's being hung on the cross again and again and again. And you sort of sit in that place, you think, wow, yeah, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to be a person who does that. I don't want to be like, and he uses this little parable, I don't want to be like this, this land that, you know, it produces thorns and thistles and it's worthless. 
And all it's good for is being burned away. I want to be like a good crop, a good crop that produces an abundant harvest. When he's writing this letter, we have to always remember he's writing to a group of Christians who are suffering. They're suffering for their newfound faith. Perhaps they're losing their jobs. They've been kicked out of their home. Their families won't talk to them. Their friends won't talk to them. They may literally be persecuted in prison. We're not sure exactly, but they're suffering for their faith. So he's not just right. This is not just some philosophical treatment written there in an ivory tower. This is for people who are in the thick of things, who are struggling with their faith. So giving him that warning, and then he gives that comfort. And friends, that comfort is, I mentioned it earlier, that, that he says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So, hey, hey God's not unjust. He's not going to forget the sufferings you've gone through. God remembers. In fact, and that's what, that's what God says here. He goes, you need to keep going. Don't be lazy. In, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And that promise came true. So friends, if that promise can come true, how much more promises of Jesus we live in a world where we want things now, instantaneous. I love doing a bit of online shopping, and I bought a new Kindle last Sunday after church. And it's amazing. I just click, click, and I get an email saying, your order's been confirmed, and they give you that tracking number. Isn't that fun watching the tracking number? Just, oh, now your, your package is here. And it moves along slowly, slowly, till it comes to you. And the expectation is if I order something now, I want to get it by the next day. We want things instantaneously. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson where he says here, one aspect of the world that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Now, in referring back to Abraham... Did he get his promised son the next day? Did he get it the next year? Did he get it in 10 years? 10, it was decades. He was 75 years old when he got that promise. Hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He was 100 when Isaac came. 25 years. That's a long time to wait. And that's part of that background too. You, you have to remember that. If God gave that oath to Abraham, it wasn't an instantaneous 25 seconds, you'll get it there. You need to wait. Friends, that's part of being a mature disciple of Jesus, being patient and waiting. If God's promised something, he will do it. Maybe not just here and now when we want it. And that's the hope that he has given us. And the hope here, and I'll read here from verse 18, it says, God did, did this so that two un, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, and enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hope in the English language now, it means nothing. Ah, I hope that doesn't rain. I hope my footy team wins. In Hebrews, hope isn't a feeling, it's a location. And that location, we're told, it's behind the inner sanctuary, behind, it's in the, I should say, it is in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus has entered. Now, if you don't know what that means, what he's referring to is the tabernacle. And there was that curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant lived. That's where Yahweh's presence was directly. And it's that curtain that Jesus, when Jesus' death, it was torn in two. And what the holies of holies represents in layman's terms, is Eden. That's where God's presence is. If Jesus has done that, if he has gone behind the curtain, friends, we have access to God. We have access to Eden once more. And Matt, I call you up for the slides. And it's interesting how in the early church, this image of the anchor became just so important for them. Uh, if you notice here on, well, the bottom, bottom right here, see they've got the two fish, the anchor. And notice how that anchor is shaped a little bit like a cross. For the church, it, it, it wasn't the image of the crucifixion that was their hope. It was the anchor. Because to them, they recognize that if I die in this lifetime, I have a hope a resurrection hope, that Jesus has gone into the holy of holies. Jesus has gone into that presence of God. And so one day I will live in a restored, renewed Eden, what we call the new heavens and the new earth. And that was the symbol you would find in all these Christian tombs, these anchors with fish around them, this hope for them clinging on to. Well, if God made this oath to Abraham and he's made the same promise to us, I know one day he will come through for us. Maybe I won't see it now, but one day he will come through. And the fact is that if Jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies, into that place, and we can access Eden once more, I said this before, we need to be reflecting Jesus more and more, we start to live in the image that God intended for us to be in. Christian psychologist Rich, um, Richard Beck, in, in his book, Hunting Magic Eels, he recounts this conversation he had with his dad on the golf course. And his dad was saying, oh, young people don't want God anymore. They're not interested in church. And Richard goes, no, dad, I actually disagree with that. As a psychologist, I see lots of young people who are desperately crying out for God. And he says they just don't know it. They call this desire anxiety, depression, or loneliness. Everywhere you look in America, you see this longing for God. You see it in rising rates of suicide and addiction. People are in pain. 
but we've lost the ability to correctly name and diagnose the hurt. The only language young people have for God is the language of mental illness. When they say anxiety or depression, they're expressing a desire for God. Beck calls this the great ache. Have this ache within us. This is what Hebrews is trying to do. Say, have you got this ache? Here's the anchor. Don't, Don't reject Jesus. Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses, greater than the tabernacle, greater than angels, greater than anything in the Old Testament. He will fill that hole that's within your heart. I said it numerous times in this series. Many of us probably aren't tempted to reject Jesus in favour of going back to Judaism. But many of us are tempted to reject Jesus. Perhaps the things of this world. Sometimes we think Jesus is greater than you fill in the blank. I love what Beck says. He hits the nail on the head. There's an ache within us. And that ache is found in Jesus. The beginning of the Steadfast series, I asked a question a month ago. Is Jesus your anchor? a question for us to consider. If Jesus is not your anchor, which bedrock, which sea rock is your anchor located in? Despite some of the complexities of the warning in Hebrews 4, 6 verse 4 to 6, it's not a great end time reality if you reject Jesus. It doesn't sound very good to be crucifying the Son of God over and over again, to be publicly shaming him, to be spiritually immature. Friends, what sounds a lot better to me is that we have a great high priest that's entered the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, the one to fill that ache that is within us, the one who is that anchor for our soul. So friends, let Hebrews 5.11 to 6.20 do its work in you. Perhaps you need to be challenged. Perhaps you need to have a bit of fear injected into you. Perhaps you need to hear that slap in the face. You're just an infant, a child. You're still in the ABCs. Let that sort of run around in you, challenge you, and reflect on the hope. God made an oath to Abraham. He's made an oath to you, and that oath is Jesus who is the anchor for our soul. Friends, let me pray for us. Our God, we give you thanks that you are the God that does not lie, the one who is prom- whose promises are sure and certain. Perhaps we won't see those promises in our lifetime, but we know you've done it historically with Abraham and all throughout Scripture, and you'll do it again with Jesus. And we've seen that with the death of Jesus, with the curtain torn in two. Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies. So that one day we can live with you in paradise for eternity. Have this hope as the anchor for our soul. Lord, I pray that many of us have perhaps got anchors in the wrong spots. We're moored to things that are not of you. Lord, let us be challenged by the harsh words of Hebrews, either being spiritually mature or being in danger 
of rejecting the faith and the consequences of that. But Lord, to live in the hope of what you have done for us. So I pray for your spirit's just comfort and guidance and perhaps challenge that's needed for us. I ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.